Hello, I'm Zev Neuwirth, and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, and bold solutions on how to advance the creation of a customer-oriented value-based system of health. The views I express on this podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization. Folks, our focus today is on consumerism and the consumer experience in healthcare. It is one of the hottest issues in healthcare today throughout all sectors of healthcare delivery. And so I am so excited to speak with our guest today, Valerie Monet. Valerie is the Senior Director of Customer Experience Strategy and Insight for Banner Health. Banner Health, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, is one of the largest healthcare systems in the U.S. It's a multi-state provider across Arizona, Colorado, Wyoming, Nebraska, Nevada, and California. Valerie is responsible for guiding the customer experience strategy for Banner Health, and she focuses on the elimination of customer friction points. And that's something I'd love to ask her more about, what she means by customer friction points. Prior to uh, Banner, Valerie was the Senior Director of Health and Life Insurance Practice at J.D. Power. During her 13 years at J.D. Power, she worked with top-performing consumer-oriented companies both in the U.S. and in Canada. Her responsibilities included strategic planning, business development, voice of the customer, as well as customer experience management and data analysis. And I'd, again, love to ask her more about that experience using data analysis on uh, the consumer or customer experience. So, so Val, without further ado, how are you today? Well, thank you so much um, for that great introduction. Um, I'm doing wonderful, um, and I'm excited to talk to you and um, anybody else who's listening. Well, it's a pleasure. You know, Val, we've known each other on and off for, for at least a couple of years, and we were at a, a conference not too long ago, and I have to tell you, when I mentioned to people at the conference that I was going to be interviewing you, you got rave reviews. I mean, you have a fan club around the country. I just, I, I don't know if you know that or not. No, I didn't know that, but that's great to hear. Yeah, people have a lot of respect for the quality of the work you do. So I was excited before, but even more excited now to talk to you. Oh, that's great. That's great. What I'd like to do is just start with a little bit of an overview, a little bit of a background, really want to focus on on the why of consumerism in healthcare. And then I want to really drill down quickly into some of the specific work you're doing and, and your learning. So first question, from your perspective, why is uh, the customer experience and consumerism important in healthcare delivery? What is the problem we're trying to solve for? What are we trying to achieve? And how does it relate to healthcare itself? That's a very, very complicated question. So, you know, if I start with your first first ask, why is consumerism in healthcare so important? And I, I think the primary reason is that people do have a choice. Healthcare is changing. It's changing rapidly from how people select their physician, the place that they choose to receive care, even the type of coverage they may have. You know, people have more choice than they've ever had before. And data actually does support that. And that's something I think a lot of people don't necessarily realize and haven't haven't thought about it. And as people have more choice, they look for more information. Um, and when you have more choice and you have more players within any type of market, the way in which you 
differentiate yourself from the others that are out there isn't necessarily just the service you provide or the care you provide. Um, it's how you make people feel and how those experiences are in the moment and in healthcare. You know, it's that much more impactful for somebody because it is their own care or it's their loved one's care. And so how you differentiate is really how you make that person's experience easier, better, and how you make them feel ultimately about working with you in their care. That's really, to me, very interesting. You use the word, you know, how, how you make people feel. And I've heard that same theme from other experts in consumerism, in both in healthcare and outside of healthcare. So there must be something to that, something important about that. How long have you been in healthcare per se, uh, a, a consumer expert in healthcare? Is this relatively new for you or were you doing this when you were at J.D. Power as well? Yeah, so I was working in healthcare at J.D. Power as well. Um, so it's it's definitely not new to me, mm -hmm. but I think it's new to a lot of people. This idea that we're going to think about care and healthcare from a consumer perspective, this idea that people have choices is different and that there is a desire to not just keep people within a system because it is beneficial either from like a business perspective, but also because ultimately the more you can keep people engaged, the greater possibility you have to improve their overall care. So it's been more than a decade for me in healthcare, although I'll say the idea of customer experience in healthcare um, has, it's been a long road. Yeah, boy, this is great. I have so many questions popping up in my mind right now. You said that this idea of the way you make people feel and, and that idea of engaging them and continuing to be relevant so that they, they use healthcare appropriately and obviously to, to improve their health. So it does seem, and this was a question I had, that connection between consumer or customer experience and actual health and health outcomes. And I think that's, Sometimes they, I think for many people, they, that connection seems to be pretty far off from one another. But I wonder, I guess the question is for you, is that a strong connection? For me, it's something being a data oriented person, um, a statistician at heart. It's something I very much want to be able to prove out mathematically. And I think that for so many reasons, it's very challenging to do. But to me, I think that there is something there, even if I can't necessarily get the algorithm to work just perfectly, mm -hmm. that the idea that if you have great experiences and you keep coming back to a particular system, a particular doctor, that you feel comfortable with that, that ultimately that's going to help you to take more ownership over your own health. I think that's absolutely a possibility. That's one of the reasons that I think doing this work in this space is so important. Mm -hmm. In our correspondence uh, leading up to this interview, I asked you what one of your most uh, significant challenges has been, and you remarked uh, something about reframing the conversation and, uh, you know, that it's not really been about this customer experience. So can you say something about that? Sure, sure. When when you talk to anybody that's been in healthcare for, for a very long time, even the decade or so that I've worked in healthcare and you talk to them about customers, a lot of times you'll hear, well, we don't have customers, we have patients. And it's hard to change that mindset, that 
you do absolutely 100% have patients, but when are your patients your customers? When do they have a choice? Um, they have a choice before they ever meet you. They have a choice while they're trying to, to find out what is the best place for them to get care. But they also have a choice when they leave, never to come back. And that's based on all of their experiences that they have while they were your patient and they were in your care. And ultimately their perceptions that you are going to be able to help them to improve their own personal health and manage their care going forward. So the idea of customers and customer experience and shifting that conversation to be um, something that we can really all collectively gravitate to, you know, I, I say that that is challenging because because in any longstanding industry where we've we've had not necessarily a singular frame of mind, but a um, an overarching competing view, when you introduce new ideas, new thoughts, new language, I think it's it just takes time to reset yourself and and say, hey, wait a minute, there are these points where people have a choice. I do have an impact, and this framework does make sense in this setting. You know, there's so many ways to think about what you just said. One of them is in other industries, as you're pointing out, there were never two ways to think about it. There was a customer and that's how you understood the person who, who you were providing a service to or a product to. And so everything is built on that one idea. But in healthcare, to your point, we've had a concept of the patient and I think that that concept has evolved, but it's still a legacy concept. And now we're bringing, uh, you know, or we, I don't know that we're bringing it in, but it's being introduced that patients, people who come to healthcare are now beginning to act like customers. And I think you're right. It's two competing models. And so we either have to, I, I guess, um, and I'm curious how you're seeing this, how the your colleagues are are holding those two in their head and are, are, are they, I'm just kidding. It's a very interesting way to think about it. I've never really thought about it that way until you've mentioned it, but how are people holding those two concepts? Well, here I see it very much evolving to move this idea of consumerism to be really a part of what patient experiences and how, how we help people to manage what is a complicated system. So it's really trying to move away from the idea of we, we have these two very different sets of ideas and really evolve them into one, to one thought process. But, hmm. you know, here I feel like we're a lot further down that path than some of my other experiences previously. Um, it's, it's been much more challenging to get folks to not really divide the two into two very different things. Mm -hmm. What do you see as the upside of the, this sort of new way of thinking of the patient, uh, whether it's a bimodal patient and customer or mostly a, a healthcare customer? Do, what, what are the upsides to that? Are there any downsides? That's a great question. Um, I see a lot of upsides. Um, the primary upside being that you are really able to create a stronger connection with that particular person and more and more frequently and 
just in life today, you see people losing those connections to the loyalty they have to a particular service, a particular industry, a particular car, you know, that, that level of loyalty that you may have had historically um, doesn't necessarily exist. And when, and healthcare is an industry where very much it was driven by and, and continues to be driven by loyalty you may have to a particular brand name, a particular doctor. And in an era when we are driven by digital, where everything more often than not can be done online um, without personal interaction, what this idea of customer experience brings back is I'm building a relationship with someone, right? I'm managing that experience from the beginning until the end, and I'm really getting to understand them, but I'm also creating a seamless experience in an industry that has been more challenging for people to navigate. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think that's the the really strong upside mm-hmm. that we have. Um, I don't know that I personally see a lot of downside. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm biased here. I, gr- I would agree with you. So it's hard for me to challenge that, but I will in a, in a moment. <laughs> I, 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 I have to. So but but let me let me just for a moment stick with the upside because mm-hmm. again I think you're making me think about something in a way that I hadn't really seen it which is I'm thinking that in the remote past 30 40 years ago maybe even 20 years ago in healthcare before digital before the internet um before the web before social media before Amazon and Google and Facebook I wonder in, in that time if in fact it was okay to think of the the healthcare consumer as a patient and it worked, but with the change in our society and the change in commerce and the change in the consumerism and the change in the way we relate and communicate with one another, I wonder if, if that in fact is one of the reasons that the, the concept of patient is just inadequate to do what you just suggested, which is to, you know, create and maintain and sustain a trusting, relevant, meaningful, productive relationship. And so, you know, I never really thought that through in this way, but what you just said made me think that way. I mean, how does that sound to you? That sounds spot on to me. I mean, when when you think about how expectations are changing mm-hmm. um, in any industry, right? So think about how you interact with somebody. The expectations the expectation is that I can get information when I need it. I can find it on my phone. I can find it on my computer. I can, I can get to it by myself without anybody else's help. Historically, that's not how we would act in healthcare. Mm-hmm. In healthcare, if you needed information, you were talking to a person and you very much always wanted that. And if you think healthcare today, how many people are making their own diagnoses before they ever talk to someone, right? So how do we bridge that gap? That's a really interesting conversation to have with folks. But when you start to go down that path of here's what people are expecting and here's what people are doing and here's their actions today and that changes their mindset. How do I come back in and rebuild that relationship with them? Um, That's where CX has a place and that's where this idea of customer has a place. How do I meet patients or customers, whichever term you use, exactly where they're at today and how do I be there for them? whenever they need me. And that idea of I need to always be there or I need to come to them, I think is new. 
and maybe wasn't there 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. And today it's being driven by other industries, right? Yeah. It's, being, it's being driven by um, mm-hmm. how folks are growing up. Mm-hmm. I think this is actually more than interesting. I think this is critically important. I I don't think this is an academic issue we're talking about. You you know, the other difference about today versus even 20 years ago is is just the amount of um, information, both auditory and visual. And I think that uh, so many industries are vying for all of our attentions and in very, very sophisticated ways. I mean, our our smartphones are just incredibly sophisticated, consumer-oriented, you know, behavior change devices. And every app we use, every website we go to, uh, there's real thinking that's been put into it to actually uh, attract us, right, and and keep us there and really vie for our attention. Uh, I think that's just a reality that didn't exist, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. And if we're going to remain relevant, I think in healthcare, it behooves us to really figure out how to do that. And that's consumerism. Exactly. Now the downside. So I do have to ask this. I mean, I think as I've spoken to audiences about this, particularly providers, physicians, I do get a lot of pushback and a lot of questions. And I think they're fair uh, to ask uh, around, well, are, are we going to lose our professionalism by you know calling patients customers or consumers? Are we going to start to upsell people and cross-sell people and inundate people with things they don't need? And so how would you respond to that? Yeah, that's that's actually a fair concern that I, I've I've heard from people as well. How do you um, take a profession that is very prestigious and almost the term customer has a different connotation um, regarding the interaction? And my again, this personal view is that. You know, when you're when you're having that conversation, that's why I feel so strongly that it's more about changing that conversation, that dynamic of that conversation to better understand those nuances of when are your patients customers and when are they making a choice. And to me, it's less about the words or the verbiage and more about the construct underneath it. What are we trying to solve for and how does this help us to actually become even better at a profession we're already great at, mm-hmm. right? So when you think about, I'll bring some examples from other industries. So think mm-hmm. about other industries, what really drives a strong relationship? Well, it's how you treat people. Um, in healthcare, that's even more important. So how do we better understand not just we, we know how to treat people. We know how to address their care. Um, we're, we're the best at addressing their care. But how do we understand what's changing about how about what they perceive they need from us and how do we meet them there, right? And that's what, that's what consumerism brings to the table. And that's how I try to um, navigate that conversation because it's not necessarily incorrect per se, but it's really about changing the dynamic to something that we can all feel comfortable with. I don't think customer means that something um, isn't prestigious. It just means that there's choice. And now we have more information than ever to help support them in making the right choice for themselves. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's another critique or criticism or question about it, which is in other industries and other sectors, if I want to choose one 
orange juice product over another, if I want to choose apple juice over orange juice, or if I want, uh, you know, a BMW over an Audi or over a Toyota, you know, those are fine decisions, decisions to make as a customer. But in healthcare, and I think you're absolutely right, this issue of, you know, customer clearly implies decision maker. And so how do you navigate that, that, you know, you, you start calling the, the patient, the customer, but are they really in a, in a, in a place where they can make decisions or is it still the provider, the doctor, the, you know, the nurse, the PA that has to really make those clinical decisions? Yeah. And in that particular example, where my thought process goes is it's not that they're necessarily making the decision. When you think about consumerism, it's helping them to be comfortable with the next steps in their care, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So although they may in some cases have absolutely zero choice whatsoever, consumerism brings to light this idea of not just choice, but also comfort and agreement with next steps, when you, when you buy a car, as an example, you wouldn't buy a car that you're not comfortable driving. You wouldn't buy a car that doesn't have the features that you like. So this idea that you are going to be learning everything that there is to know about that before you make a purchase decision, it's, it's different, but in, there are some things that are actually very comparable. The idea of explaining to people exactly what the next steps are in their care, helping them to understand what they may need to arrange to ensure that they have the right level of care, they can care for themselves, or if they can't, how do they get somebody that can help them care for themselves? It's creating this this essence of comfort around somebody mm-hmm. so that they know, so that they feel great about what happens next. I'm biased and I happen to completely agree with you. I mean, even, and I think many clinicians would agree with this, even in those decisions where you require, uh, as do many, real expertise on the part of the clinician, there's often choice, right? And so uh, whether it's in chemotherapy or the type of surgery or the procedure within a surgery or uh, you know other medication options or option between medication and surgery, those are all decisions that require the consumer to really be a part of that decision-making process and for the provider to actually understand what the consumer's preferences are. And then, you know, to your second point, so much of healthcare these days is what happens after those decisions, the follow-through. Chronic disease is really 70, 80% of the game right now. And that's all about the individual's behaviors. And if you don't have that trusting relationship, if you haven't created that desire and motivation uh, to to sustain behavior, and if you can't keep that relevant, uh, because again, we're all pulled by so many other things. And so healthcare is just another thing in our lives. And so I think that that it is critically important to establish that. Let, let me switch gears with you, if you don't mind. I put you on the hot seat and thank you for, for staying with it. I'm fascinated by your data background. I didn't realize that you're a data person, um, perhaps a data scientist, actually, and a statistician. What does this whole field of consumerism from your years at J.D. Power and your background there, what does this add to the patient experience, to patient outcomes? How are you using data? How are you, how are you analyzing it? 
Yeah, so that's actually, a, that's a pretty easy question for me to tackle. Um, so when you think about data science in a retail setting, it, it's a lot easier, right? So it the conversation is oriented to how do I get more people to walk in the door? How do I get customers to keep coming back to me? Um, how do I get them to have more products or services with me? So that's a, that's a very, very easy conversation. When you think about some of these customer experience frameworks in the healthcare setting, um, it's different, but equally as impactful. So I think about some of the most impactful work that we would do in customer experience, and that's helping clients to measure and manage how their customers would interact with them. So you have a particular service. How well is that working? What else do you want? Um, how can I be of assistance? How, do, how often do you check in with them? And making sure every time they have an interaction with you that that goes great. And when it doesn't, that you have this element of service recovery. So that is core customer experience world outside of healthcare. It's all very data-driven, a number of different analytical techniques that I'd be super interested in, but I'll kind of keep that to myself. <laughs> um, when I think about healthcare, we're actually doing a lot of the same type of work. Every time a, a patient comes in and they see us for any different type of care, any type of service that we might offer, um, we actually reach out to them after the fact and we find out, well, how, how were your experiences with us? What did you think of the providers that you saw? Um, how easy was it for you to actually get in, get an appointment? And we have so much data, it's unbelievable because we're, we're literally touching almost every single patient that walks through our doors. But one of the things that we've been able to do is figure out, well, what really drives people to have a great experience with us, to want to keep coming back, to want to tell their friends, their family about us? And then we can distill down, well, what's important to our patients? And how do we do on that? Are we executing on that? Are we really there for them when we need them? In many cases, we're doing an excellent job. And then in other cases, what we're finding is that, you know, our patients are looking for something a little bit more, a little bit different than what we may have thought. And because we have this constant stream of data, we're able to say, okay, well, this is really important to you, but we need to up our game just a little bit. And so what we'll do is we'll try different techniques to change an operational process that we know it should drive a change in their experience. And then we can watch the data say, well, is that working? Yeah. Do you have an example of that? And and it kind of reminds me of in the intro, I mentioned that you, you focus on customer friction points. So do you have an, uh, an example of, a, of what you were just talking about? Sure. Um, a, a prime example in healthcare, I think, is the ability to... So let me use urgent care as a great example. So urgent care is probably the closest aspect of healthcare to a retail environment. Um, urgent care, historically, years back, you could walk in the door, receive care, you'd be seen in the order that you arrived. And now people's expectations of care are changing. So when we think about 
how you, number one, select an urgent care. In many cases, you can save your spot in line. You can make an appointment online. You can find the closest one to you instantaneously on your phone, and all of that happens seamlessly, right? So from the point at which we started measuring and managing the experience, we didn't necessarily have some of those technologies in place for, for our patients and customers out there. And as we put them in place, um, it wasn't always simply, let's install this new service. Let's just make this available. There's always some trial and error when you're innovating, when you're trying something new. So we were, as we try new things, we were able to see, well, how effective was this the first time around? What do we need to change about this? Is, is it working? As we've seen stumbling blocks, like as you would expect, something that makes it easier for people to get in and get care immediately is has some pretty positive sentiment associated with it, but it might not have quite the lift you think when, when you don't have that. Well, how do we make that easier? How do we make it even easier? How do we take it up another level? And we're able to literally watch scores come in while we try some new technology, that one in particular, and say, okay, that's exactly what we want, but we want more. Now, what's the next level? And we're able to change it on on the fly, instantaneously. How are you getting that data back? What? How are you collecting it? Is it through questions or surveys or, or real-time yeah. ethnographics or? Um, all of the above, all of the above. But um, primarily when you're looking at quantitative metrics, it's it's typically survey research. Mm-hmm. So that's where you're able to get a the bulk of the drivers when you want to really understand what about... An experience is most impactful. Mm-hmm. What about an experience in this setting? Quantitative data can really take you down that path. No, I mentioned I'm a data person. I do see the need for both, right? So when you just do an algorithm and you don't understand what it's like to be in that patient's shoes, something is always missed. So mm-hmm. um, personal feelings is you really need to be looking at it from both angles. As we were writing back and forth before the interview, you wrote something about, in terms of some of your learnings, that driving engagement was very, very specific. Uh, population specific is is the term you used in terms of, again, key drivers and, and of, of engagement. Could you say something about that or give an example of what you mean by that? Sure. When you think about how to get somebody engaged with healthcare. If you are maybe within a younger generational cohort, the way you might want to want to interact is very different. Maybe the places that you choose to get care are very different. And I don't want to make any gross generalizations, but a lot of times it is perceived that younger generations will make decisions based on convenience. And In that vein, you may want to make sure that if that is a particular segment of the population that you want to interact with, that you are meeting them where they're at when you start to think about older generational cohorts. Um, Maybe the way that they prefer to interact with you is in person, whether it's in person personally or over the phone. So how how do you drive some of your consumer or patient-facing elements to then bring in this idea of I'm going to meet people where they're at? 
that personally and try to tailor our care and our access to care to not just their needs, but their expectations. Yeah, no, that's great. And, you know, again, this is one of the advantages, I think, of having a consumer-oriented or customer-oriented approach and bringing that, that all that sort of skill in understanding, is this what the population or, you know, that sub-segment of the population wants and how do we know that that's what they want and how do we improve upon that? And it's this cycle, I'm getting this picture, it's the cycle of you have something in place, you measure it, you iterate on it and you measure it again. And it's just this continuous process is if I want to set up and, and I want to ask you this question, because, because I know that you're very proud of the work you're doing and your colleagues are doing a banner and it seems like you're a leader in this area. If others wanted to sort of set up something like you set up there, what is that? What is at a high level? What would you say? If, you know, if you had literally 30 seconds to tell me how I set my own consumer oriented division up, what would you say I needed to do? Listen to your customers and your patients. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing is start getting feedback. Just find a starting place and collect it. It's going to be different for everybody. The amount of investment that an organization can put in is going to vary pretty dramatically. But whether you're getting out of your office and you're going and sitting into one of your, your clinic waiting rooms and you watch how that interaction goes from the point that someone walks in until they get their care and then ultimately what it's like to check out and go home, start to understand what they feel mm-hmm. and what they see and what it's like to be on the other side of your fence. Mm-hmm. Right? Not everybody can have an integrated customer experience quantitative survey program. Um, it, it's challenging to do, but if you can do it, you know, it's just a different way of listening to your patients, listening to your customers. That's a great response. It's a great answer because it doesn't have to be high tech and it doesn't have to be high cost. I mean, as you were talking, the image I had was, look, how many of your administrators or your senior physician executives uh, actually get out into the practices? And it's not just, you know, going around and walking around and walking through and and them heading back to their office, but how many actually sit there in the waiting room for an hour or two? You know, I I can tell you that I don't practice anymore, uh, but uh, I made it a point when I was leading our our primary care and and medical group that I would actually go into the exam rooms with doctors and I I wore my white coat, but I, you know, they introduced me as, you know, as Dr. Newworth, but I wasn't there to treat. I was there to observe the, quite honestly, the the customer experience. And I will tell you that the amount you learn, uh, there's, there's nothing I can imagine that teaches you more about what your organization is doing in terms of patient care, patient experience, than literally getting behind the doors and watching that interaction. And to your point, the experience of watching a, you know, an 85-year-old with multiple complex problems who's in a wheelchair who just got out of the hospital, watching that behind the door versus watching a 25-year-old or 30-year-old, market differences. And to your point, you you can't compare the experience. They're different. The needs are different. Um, what you have to put into place is completely different. I think it's it's an eye-opening experience. I would suggest if an organization did nothing else but that, have its administrators, uh, senior administrators or, or middle, every administrator, every manager literally you know, follow a physician around or follow a nurse around or follow a PA around or follow a tech around for half a day uh, to see what it really is like, um, and just be a fly on the wall, not, not be part of it, just be an observer. 
What, what do you think of that? I mean, is that is that a crazy thing? I don't think it's crazy at all. Honestly, I'll be doing that exact thing next week with two of our CEOs. Um, it's, I think it's incredibly impactful, not just to really understand what it's like, but to understand why we're doing this. Why do we care so much about patient experience and customer experience? It's really easy when you're in an administrator to get caught up in numbers and you start to forget about feelings and about why we're in it and why it matters. You you can easily get caught up in how hard it is. It's it's difficult to manage consumerism in healthcare. But I think very quickly you remember why it's so important. I have to tell you, I've been in population health for a couple of years and I've, I've stopped doing what I was doing before and had been doing for years, you know, this idea of following clinicians around and, and just being a fly on the wall and observing the interaction. I used to do it literally once every week and usually on a Friday when things were a little bit quieter, but I'm going to start to do that again. Uh, so I thank you for responding in the way you did. What, what are some, well, what, let me ask you this and then, uh, and then I'll get to ask you about a specific initiative and maybe you can answer it at the same time, but what makes Banner Health, because in, in our discussions, you did mention you thought that Banner was, was a leader in this sort of consumer experience domain. What makes you say that? I would say our commitment to the framework of customer experience. Um, everything that we do has our customer in mind. And we're a little bit different than other other organizations, um, other industries where we have complex, where there are complex customer segmentation models. In healthcare, you have to start to understand who your customer is. And in our core customer, we have one segment that we are currently trying to improve the experience for. We call her Sophia and everybody, everything that we do internally at Banner, the question you always ask yourself is, does this make care easier for Sophia? What would Sophia think of that experience? What would Sophia do if this were to be in place, right? So when I think about our commitment to integrating consumerism into how we care for our patients, into how we reach out to our patients is more advanced than I've seen in my previous experience in literally every single person that you talk to. You walk the halls here, you walk the halls of a hospital, anybody that works here. If you say, you know, well, what does Sophia think about that? They can answer that question. Hmm. They know that Sophia represents all of our customers, all of our patients. And you don't see that everywhere else. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that speaks volumes to the work that was done before I joined. Mm -hmm. Tell me about Sophia. It's a, it's a persona. It's an avatar that you use. How, how old is Sophia? What kind of customer patient is Sophia? So Sophia is a persona. She is responsible for managing the care for her family. She has children. She's married. She's caring for aging parents. Sophia is short on time. She's short on money, right? And we, when we think of that, we think of Sophia as what can 
everyone and anyone identify with. And we think of Sophia as, as really representing that. And so when we take those core elements of, of Sophia's persona, that's what we're really keeping in mind for every decision that we make. What does somebody that um, really fills Sophia's shoes, what would they think? What does she think? Do you have, when you, when you say that as you walk the halls, people, you could ask this question, you know, what would Sophia think? So how do people, if I was a, a new employee at a new provider, new administrator, new tech at Banner, how would I get to know Sophia? What, how do you teach me or, or train me to understand Sophia? Honestly, you would be inundated with Sophia. So not only would we train you about what our perspective is and how how we want you to think about um, Sophia and interacting with her as you interact with your patients, she's everywhere. So everyone that you talk to will talk about her and you just can't help but ask, what is this? Because I'm going to say on my second day, I had no idea who she was, but by day five, I did. From any training that we roll out, she's involved. Posters, she's involved. Conversations, she's involved. Every level. Do, do, you, have so, a, do you have a picture? Is there, is there a visual? I do, I, I do have a picture. We also have a picture. Um, and she's in a lot of our marketing that we do as well. And I'm, I'm happy to share that with you. Yeah, maybe that's something I could even uh, post in the show notes as well. I, I think that would be interesting. I've, you know, it's it's interesting. We we heard actually at the conference you and I attended, the Merchant Medicine Conference. Uh, I guess it must have been at least a month ago. There was uh, the uh, former, and he actually may still be the, the present CEO and founder of Zoom, right? Zoom Zoom Care was it? Yes. Out of Portland, and he talked about a persona that his his organization really was built around structured around, organized around a persona customer, a persona patient. Is that, do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting. I, that, that was really helpful. What other specific initiatives are you working on and, and, you know, whether they be population specific or, and I'm particularly, again, very, very interested in the data-driven stance and approach you take. Uh, Do you have an example of something else you're working on? Sure. So something that is new that we're doing right now, um, and so it's very much in an experimental phase. So thinking specifically about customer experience and patient experience data is understanding some of the nuances of our various facilities. So we have a number of different hospitals. We have a number of different clinics. We're in multiple states, and the populations that we serve might be very different in a more rural area of Colorado versus a very populated urban part of Phoenix. So how do the customers, what they expect, what drives a strong experience, how do those differ down to a facility level? And then thinking even more granularly, how are their expectations different within the emergency department versus if you are under inpatient care? Um, What are your expectations and how do we deliver on those? And then we're using that to drive operational improvement efforts. So that is our core project that we're working on right now. But we're also doing work that comes straight from 
outside industries, customer experience world to better understand if you've never been to Banner, if you've had no interactions with us whatsoever, you know, what do you think of us? What do you, what's your generalized public perception um, and how do we reach you? How do we change that? If your perception is great, how do we get you to come in the door? How do we get you engaged? If your perception isn't great, why and how do we change it? Wow, that's really smart. So you're going you're going after the non-consumer, the non-customer and trying to reach out to that group. Everything. Everything. Yeah. Everything. And so you're just going back to that first point you made. So you're looking at different locations and so you're really focused on this idea of understanding the expectations. Why are the expectations, number one, why are they so important? And number two, how are, you, how are you going about that? Again, is it through surveys? Is it through focus groups? Is it through online? Do you have feedback in real time? How, how does that work? So, so for that particular body of work, um, it is quantitative research. We are leveraging surveys. They're, they're transactional. So that means after every experience, we're reaching out to you within 24 hours. We're getting that information back, and then we are looking at it in aggregate. We have so much feedback, I, I and it's a data scientist dream. <laughs> and we we leverage regression models to determine what is most impactful, what's what's really going to make an experience stand out for one person versus another. Um, so it's just, honestly, it's looking at different types of experiences and figuring out the drivers based on the questions. Mm-hmm. And then from there, this is where customer experience is a little bit of art and science. Mm-hmm. Right. So science will only get you so far, but then there's still the art of, okay, these are the numbers and this is what's most important. And I can actually give you a great example of why it's important to understand expectations. If somebody has an expectation of a certain type of care when they walk in the door or a certain experience when they walk in the door and they don't get it, they will never come back to you. If they never come back to you or they aren't engaged, how can we actually help them to better manage them their health? There isn't a hard and fast rule that they're going to seek care elsewhere. So what we really want to be able to do is be able to provide the best care for everybody that we interact with. When it comes to their expectations, so think about someone that goes into a clinic setting. Provider interaction is one of the most impactful parts of the experience. Data that I used to have access to, studies that I've run in the past 10 years, academic research that you can filter through. Providers have a very, very strong place in determining how someone will ultimately perceive their experience with the system or the office. But what happens when you're great at that? Um, And This is a great problem to have. We have a lot of that. We have a lot of really great doctors. And then like, well, we know we want to improve the experience, but they love our doctors. What do we do now? So what you'll actually see is in some of those cases, what's most impactful to customers where they have a great set of doctors that are always there and they they really like coming in and seeing them is that different things start to show up as being more impactful. And it starts to be things like, Well, how can I make the check-in process more efficient? Um, How can I better communicate findings? How can I more adequately set expectations of 
what they need to do for follow-up. And suddenly what's most impactful shifts. And it's going to shift as people's expectations change. It's going to shift as the interaction model changes. And it's going to shift as you get better at certain things. As you get better, it's this idea of how do I always be the best? How do I always provide the best possible care? The only way that you're going to know, well, now that I'm great at this, now what? Right? Mm. It's it's always now what? Yeah. And if you're not monitoring this and you're not doing this type of evaluation, you really won't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And on that same vein, I I often get the question, well, what happens when I'm the best of the best? I'm the best of the best at everything. Well, then you're the person that sets the bar. Mm-hmm. And once mm-hmm. you set the bar, everyone starts chasing you. And then, then what's the what's the next level? then that's when you just start to see everything change. You know, you, you again, you, you talked about this idea of friction points, customer friction points. So what, what are you discovering as some of those, because there's so many, you rarely hear that the experience in healthcare is perfect. Even if the, you know, even if you love your provider, you know, you love the people, it's still the overall experience. And I, I think that's the point here is in a point that I, you know, I, I keep on coming across, which is that, the experience is for everyone. The providers are internal customers as well. They're people, obviously, right? And and the right. staff. And and so what's their experience like? And, and do they feel like they can do their best work? Are they supported? And is it sustainable? And which is obviously a, a major issue right now in healthcare. Uh, in fact, I was just in the last couple of weeks, I saw something about uh, someone was saying that um, that this issue of, of provider burnout is is actually a crisis at this point, They're literally using that word crisis level. It's been that for a while. But but so again, it, this is for everyone. So what are, what are some of the, the friction points you are really f- discovering are serious and key and that you're pointing your tools at right now to try to fix? A handful of those and, and it varies by setting, honestly. Friction points, things that you would expect to be friction points, right? Communication, communication's hard. You might very much like all of the people that you're interacting with. They might be very courteous. They might be respectful. But making sure that patients have the knowledge, that knowledge transfer happens when they walk out the door, that's a challenge. That's a challenge everywhere. I mean, there's there's common friction points in healthcare that you and I have probably both experienced. So uh, think about walking in the door and the idea that you have no idea how how much it's going to cost you when you leave, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So so that's a that's a friction point that's difficult to solve for. Healthcare is confusing. It's complicated. That you're going to the doctor very often because an issue has has already risen, right? There are folks that go to the doctor proactively, but not everybody does. So a lot of these interactions start in a different place. So they start with this idea of, I'm scared. I don't know what's next. I don't know if I'm okay. And so, you know, how you handle that, how you handle that when people walk in the door, that is, can often be a friction point, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I think we underestimate how how frightened patients are about mm-hmm. you know about what's going on with them. Yeah, I think in some of our, our back and forth interactions, I I mentioned that healthcare sentiment perceptions, however you measure it, they can be very polarized, mm-hmm. right? So in other industries, you'll see 
people hover around the average. Like that was that was an okay experience. It was okay enough. Healthcare is not just it's not okay enough, huh. right? Huh. Healthcare tends to be it's either great or really bad. So you do tend to see a lot of polarity in terms of the feedback that you get because healthcare is a very personal experience. It's very, it's personal interactions. It's sometimes things that you don't want to think about. And so when that goes well, it goes great. When it doesn't, it's really bad. I had never really thought about it, but I, I think you're spot on. This polarity is so true. You probably don't see it quite in the same way. So how does, it almost seems like that is a different qualitatively and quantitatively different than other industries. How do you think about that? And how do you, how do you approach that given that it's probably the case? You leverage those experiences to learn from what has really gone well. What experiences can I identify that have been just so outstanding in our patients' eyes? And we, we have so many great experiences. And how can I replicate that? And then when you look at those experiences that didn't go well, I, it means you have to uncover it. It's not just about analyzing data. It's not just about reviewing trends. It's about making change not just in terms of how you speak to somebody, but making distinct operational changes that will impact every experience to mitigate that. Make it so it can never happen again. Yeah. Really get underneath it and look at it. And that's what we do. Yeah, that's great. I, I'm, I'm going to remember this. That point is so important, that sort of polarity of experience. And it's a lot of it is in the extremes and in both positive and negative. It's like, you know, life-saving experiences just off the charts, positive. And yet, you know, terrible experiences are off the chart, terrible. And it probably is quite different than other sectors and other industry segments. I want to ask you a question about digital. You mentioned something about, you know, digital not being the, the same thing as consumerism. And could you say something about that? Sure. I think, at least in a lot of the interactions that I've had, that people will frequently say that this drive to digital, digital is the future, that will change consumerism. Digital can improve every experience, right? Um, and I do think that they are distinctly different. Um, digital won't. Digital helps support us in providing different and better or more efficient experiences to people. Um, but when not thought through thoroughly, thinking about downstream implications, thinking about the folks that don't necessarily want to interact with you digitally, um, thinking about what happens when you have a new digital solution and you launch that? How does that change your staff's perception of their own, their own position, their own role when working with customers? I think digital is a great tool and resource for us, but digital itself doesn't necessarily save the day, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it, I think it, it does. In fact, I 
I think that digital actually requires more attention to customer service and consumerism because you don't have the human being there to fudge and to fill in the gaps. And so it's it's really got to be designed super, super special. I mean, that sort of 10x experience that folks in, in Silicon Valley talk about, it, it really, it's all about the customer. It's all about the experience, as you've been talking about. Uh, Val, I'm looking at the questions. I could go on for another hour, but I, I want to be mindful of time. In fact, to be honest with you, I've lost track of time. I've learned so many things from you and I've got so much, to, quite honestly, to think about. In fact, I don't often walk away from an interview with a to-do in mind and you've <laughs> given me a to-do. So this is quite unique and I'm very grateful for it. But I do want to ask at least one more question. I'll give you a chance to give your uh, a final thought or message if you or takeaway if you have one. You must be talking to others around the country about this. I'm sure you're tapped by other people for your expertise and what you're doing at Banner. Do you see this customer services consumerism as a growing movement in healthcare across the country? Absolutely. Hmm. I think that is 100% where healthcare is going. When when you think about areas such as where I live, there's there is so much choice in where you go. There is whether you're selecting a primary care physician, whether you're trying to figure out what health system you should work with, whether you're trying to find an urgent care, um, they're everywhere. There is choice in healthcare everywhere. The idea that more and more folks are having to manage more of the costs associated with their care. They're starting to shop everything from procedures that they should have done um, to simply their prescriptions to try to find, you know, well, where am I going to be able to save just a little bit of money, right? And so as that changes and just increased access to information, people are searching it out. They want to know that every decision that they make, every decision that they can be involved with, that they're making the right decision for them. Mm-hmm. And just the digital age bringing so much information to our fingertips um, is, is really driving this idea of consumerism in all industries. We are consumers in every other part of our life. And we expect, like you were talking about before, we have expectations and they are they are crossing over in a big way into healthcare. And so I, I think that it's going to happen whether we want it to or not. It's happened. It's happening. It's probably already happened. And so it's for us to to really keep up and catch up and get ahead of it. So, so Val, uh, you know, I want to thank you. I, I mean, you've been tremendous. Uh, you really brought us some fresh perspectives, new ideas, really bold solutions. And, and so I really, really want to thank you for that. Do you have uh, a final word or, or message before I sign off? Well, I think the one thing that I would say, and I'll just give all of your listeners the same advice that all of my colleagues gave me, and it's don't give up. This is really important work. And it's not easy. It's incredibly difficult. And you will find roadblocks every single day. But the reason it is so difficult is because it's, it's innovative. It's different. And it's going to change the way that we consume healthcare. Yeah, that was, uh, thank you again. That was a wonderful send off message. I, I really appreciate that. Now I'm going to turn to the, to the audience. And as I do each and every episode, I uh, am compelled to express a, a special note of recognition 
and gratitude to all of you out there who are either directly providing care to patients and those of you who are supporting others and providing care. You're doing such hard and critically important work each and every day uh, of taking care of others, and we all greatly appreciate you for it. If the themes we've talked about on this podcast are of interest to you, I encourage you to check out my new book called Reframing Healthcare, which is currently available on Amazon for pre-order. My intention here is with the, both the podcast and the book and uh, other, other activities that I'm engaged in is really to catalyze a more humanistic healthcare system. And uh, by talking to experts like Val and others, I, I hope that uh, it's really given you some encouragement and inspiration and, and hope. And perhaps even like me, you've walked away with some actual concrete ideas about what you're going to do moving forward. And so I just want to thank you. This is Zev Neuwirth. You've been listening to Creating a New Healthcare. Until next time, be well.